Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right, welcome to Chief Chat with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I am Todd Hagopian, and we have a fantastic guest today, another Ladies of Liberty episode featuring Isabella Riley. Isabella, you want to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Yeah, so my name is Isabella Riley. I am 22 years old, and I'm actually a senior at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Not, I'm not on campus. I'm just taking a couple of Spanish classes to complete my political science degree, because obviously you need Spanish to get a political science degree. But yeah, basically, the only how I know you guys is I started making political TikTok videos. I know it sounds so stupid, but that's just how I started um, November of 2020. And since then, I, I was permanently banned. And then I started posting my stuff on Instagram and then started getting on Twitter, only really started taking Twitter seriously within maybe the past month or two. I remember I went to CPAC this year and it was that when people were telling me, you need to try more on Twitter. So that's really when I started taking it seriously. But I really have been so um, just enchanted by the whole libertarian debate on Twitter and you know how there's always constant arguing between everyone on Twitter. So that's always been really interesting. But yeah, that's pretty much how I know you guys. And yeah, I've been pretty much a lifelong libertarian. My dad has always been a libertarian my entire life growing up complaining about the government, just stupid little things that, you know, the government can't stay out of your business with every little thing in life. And that has always resonated with me. Now I would say in maybe high school and college, I would call myself a conservative, not really understanding the um, major differences and not really standing true to the full libertarian values until more recently when I've seen a trend on the, on the right towards more authoritarianism, which has completely turned me off. And I've also recently been addicted to watching, you know, Michael Malice, Tom Woods, Dave Smith, um, Ron Paul, obviously. So my, my dad growing up, Ron Paul was like his person, always talked about him, always talked about Ayn Rand. And so, yeah, that's pretty much a brief introduction. Fantastic. Well, coming from somebody who graduated in political science 16 years ago, <laughs> in a decade and a half or so, you might have your own crappy podcast. So <laughs> hopefully you've got some backup plans there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, talk a little bit more. I know you came from the conservative uh, portion um, of the political spectrum. Talk a little bit about what it was like growing up uh, with a family who leaned libertarian um, and how, how that was the first time maybe that you got involved in an election or got interested in an election and what that was like. So yeah, the first time I really got interested in, in an election was the election to get interested in, which is 2016, um, Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. And I was a full Trump supporter. And I would say I still, this is something I get into some heat with people online who tell me if you're a libertarian, then you can't like Trump. And they, people love to put you in boxes and say that if you're this, then you can't support this. And so this is how I look at Donald Trump. And I'm kind of the opposite of what most people who like Donald Trump will say. So most people will say, 
I like his policies, but his rhetoric is not, you know, I don't really like it. I don't like his tweets. His offensive tweets are terrible. I'm the opposite. I don't so much like his policies, but I like how he was like the metaphor, like he was the manifestation of the middle finger to the establishment, to the elite, to the mainstream media, you know, to all these institutions that we hate right? He just pissed them off. And that's something I really resonated with. I can't stand the elitist culture in America. Um, I, I also just think that there's no one, there was no one in politics before him really standing up to the left. And whether he really followed through on policy, he didn't really so much. But, you know, his rhetoric, well, as others criticize it, that was my favorite thing about him. And I think that was very needed. But yeah, so I grew up always as a libertarian. My father always used the word libertarian, um, loved Ron Paul, and really just the libertarian principles make sense. If I can recall just like a little basic story and things like this have, would happen throughout my entire life. But I remember in high school, I would you know bring a school lunch and every, this is an ongoing problem, but my friends at lunch would be like, oh, can I have that part of your lunch? Can I have this? Can I have that? And I would be like, I brought this lunch for me to enjoy, for me to eat, not for you to take. I didn't practice for you. And then they would always return by saying, stop being selfish, stop being crazy. Like it's just a lunch, like it's just a snack. Well, bring it yourself then. Why am I the selfish one for not giving you the, my, the private, my private property that I brought for myself? Suddenly I'm the bad guy here. It just little situations like that. It seems like the world, my father and I talk about this all the time. But it seems like the world is just simply upside down and that we're like, is everyone else crazy or are we crazy? And just little things like that that I could tell you happen every day to where um, my dad always laughs because he'll say that there's things that he's realizing now that he really can't stand people. And he's like, thinks everyone else is crazy. And he's like, but I'm just realizing this now. But now you, you're 22 and you're already there. So you're already like miserable and hate everyone and just want to be left alone where I am as your father. So it's, it's funny. And I, sometimes it's like a blessing and a curse because I feel like I'm a lot more wise than most people my age. And I'm really comfortable with myself, confident and um, really understand my beliefs. And I'm so passionate about it too. But at the same time, it's a curse because just like the littlest things will just bother me. Just like things like my father and I will talk about why, like if someone were to invite you to a wedding, right? <laughs> I know this is kind of off topic, but you would be the bad person for rejecting to go. Maybe you don't want to go. I'm not someone that really wants to go to a wedding. I also don't want to force other people to go to my wedding. I don't want to waste money to um, impress other people, but just things like that, where everyone just expects, everyone's so entitled to your time, your effort. And I just don't go about life like that. I never, I will go through everything and try my hardest before I ask for help for anyone. I'm very big on personal responsibility. Um, I don't want to bother other people. And that's just like the basic philosophy. So you don't even need to read political philosophy to understand the most basic principles of libertarianism, you know, don't steal, um, don't, you know, you know, inflict violence on someone else, don't, initi don't initiate force on someone else, the most basic things that you don't need to be a genius to understand, but yet somehow, it is not the common narrative and goal for everyone else in society. So I'm pretty much every day just going about my life like, why does everyone else think this way? And why am I this way? And I, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I do truly think that my worldview is correct and moral, but it's also a curse because it drives me crazy on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, and talk a little bit more from a political philosophy standpoint. So 
I it's been a long time. I was half joking, but it's been a long time since I did my poli sci major, and um, and I was one of the very very few conservatives in my class, and it was very interesting. Has that changed, or what was your experience uh, in those classes? What was the mix like, and what were the discussions like? Oh yeah, so I mean, just completely surrounded by Marxists in training. Um, we only had to read Marxist philosophers. I'm not. I'm not even joking. I've never been assigned reading for someone that I ever agree with. Everything I read was, um, you know, the founders are racist, pro-Marxist theory. I remember I read a lot of um, Antonio Gramsci, just Engels, you know, all the same people. And I kind of looked at. I know a lot of people will say they they'll get really upset about how it's so one-sided in the education system which I completely agree I think it's all bs and a waste of time and money and I wish I never even got my degree but I'm on my last year so I'm not going to stop now I graduate next month but yeah so what I looked at it as is I try to always frame things in a learning opportunity or I try to make things you know if I'm going to put my time and effort in, into something I want to make it as you know a, a effective and efficient for my time as possible so I looked at it as, you know, I have to read all this Marxist philosophy and write all these papers in this point of view. But you know what? I will look at it as a learning experience because now I get to learn their arguments so well. And I think that's a, one of the biggest flaws of the left is they don't even try to attempt to understand where the conservatives or more liberty-minded people are coming from. They just think that they're way of the highway. And if you don't agree with me, you're racist, sexist, homophobic, you know, xeno, you know, go down the line of phobics. But so I looked at it as, you know, I'm happy that I feel confident knowing that I've read the other side because, you know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right. By the way, I only was more confirmed in my beliefs against Marxism. Um, but I just think it's really a strength to be able to know the other side of the arguments to better dismantle them. So I actually did have, um, it's crazy. So I had my constitutional law professor was a conservative vegan and I probably haven't talked about this, but I'm a vegan, which is very rare um, coming from the conservative or the right-leaning side of things. It's more associated with crazy radical leftists, which I agree, vegans are very annoying and I don't even like calling myself one because it's associated with the psych psychopaths of the radical left. But so yeah, it was very interesting to find a vegan conservative professor as my constitutional law professor. And he became kind of a mentor towards me and we built a great relationship and he was awesome. But unfortunately he did end up leaving because he said, yeah, so the education system just hates me because I'm a white straight male and I'm just sick of being a doormat and just having zero opportunities being brought to me because, because of my you know um, identity groups. So he just, wanted to do other things instead but yeah I mean I the students majority Marxist occasionally there would be another um, conservative libertarian in the class and whenever you find that person you you feel like you have to whisper like oh so you're a conservative wow, wow that's so crazy and you like find yourself whispering and that goes into the bigger problem with what's going on in the country is the fact that we're self-censoring ourselves you know if everyone if everyone on the right or you know anti-elitist left was vocal about their opinions and guess what our opinions aren't terrible they're not the wrong ones here so just be vocal if they can be vocal about you know killing babies in the womb when they're right about to be born why can't we be vocal about freedom um but it's a self-censorship that i think is a huge problem and i've never been one to self-censor i've always been crazy outspoken very passionate about politics and I've never been afraid to disagree with people ever. I'm also not a contrarian in the sense to where, you know, I'm just going to disagree with someone to disagree with someone, but I've never been afraid to stand, say what I believe and whether it's to agree or disagree with someone. 
So I've always been very passionate about this. In high school, I was very pro-Trump and some of my, I went to a Catholic school. So some of my teachers liked Trump, some didn't, but I was very vocal, always debating. I always got into fights with my English teachers. It was always the female English teachers that hated my guts because I was never, never really too shy about my opinions. Um, college, I learned to kind of shut up because going to UMass Amherst, there's over 30,000 kids that go there. I'd be in classrooms, you know, auditoriums of a couple hundred kids. And the couple times I did speak out, I would get the entire class and as well as the professor, you know, teaching assistants coming, like attacking me. And I was like, you know what, this is not worth it. So I just learned to shut up, just do my work and try to learn the most I could from it. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty much we're, I think that um, college campus situation is worse than anyone could ever imagine because, I mean, the idea that anyone feels like they could at all dissent the mainstream left narrative is laughable. They, I mean, you can, but are you ready to be attacked by the class? Is it worth it? It's like a cost and benefits thing. Is it really worth the benefit of standing up? Well, I don't really see what I could win in that circumstance, but I did have some teachers that were um, liberal that I did get along with and they knew my stances though. So, you know, sometimes um, people from the left are more sympathetic to libertarians and conservatives because they feel like conservatives are like their mortal enemy. And which is weird, which I understand that, but at the same time, I feel like libertarians are more extreme to the right, not all right, but when I'm saying more extreme on the end of liberty. So I look at like the left being status and then going towards liberty. So I feel like if, if liberals and well, you know, not classical liberals, you know, they had the left had to hijack that term, but if they really understood libertarianism, that they probably would hate libertarians even more because they're so against, you know, the state intervention and all these government programs. But for some reason, liberals and leftists are more sympathetic to liberty minded people. So um, I was able to build some good relationships. And I remember my, um, my family law professor, she was a liberal, but we, I used to talk to her all the time after class for hours about just my views and we would just discuss things. We would discuss Trump who she despised and we just, we always built a great relationship. So I'm someone that I don't care what you think. I love to talk to people that I agree or disagree with. One of my favorite things to do is talk to conservatives that I disagree with on the weird little issues that we do. But it's usually the people on the other side that hate my guts. And also because I'm so, um, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not afraid to really speak my mind. And sometimes I'll troll people a little bit too. I always find that fun, which triggers a lot of people, but yeah, I'm just, I know that was a long answer. <laughs> no, it's good. The, um, I remember, I mean, this is nothing new, right? This has gone on for 20 years, I think it was. Uh, and I went to college for a long, long, long time. Uh, but I think it was probably about the year 2000, I remember. Um, having a petition being passed around in class we had probably about 80 people in the class and the petition was going around to support the affirmative action case uh, oh you mean sy systematic racism uh yes and the u of m case you were probably about negative two at that time i'm not sure but so 1998 i was born <laughs> okay so it was actually that year um it was the year that uh this lawsuit got filed, I believe, because that was the year I graduated high school, and I was, um, I was part of the year. I did not join the lawsuit, but, um, but anyway, this petition got passed around, and they were literally, um, basically, with eighty people, you know, it was going around, and I was the only person in the class that didn't sign the petition, and there was an audible like gasp, pause, 
you know, like the teacher was not teaching. She was watching everybody sign this petition and I didn't do it. She was like um, taking notes to make sure that everyone signed oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And, and it was, it was to the point where I went to the Dean afterwards and it was a big deal. Like it, it turned into a big deal. Uh, obviously she didn't get, well, you had to go to, you had to go to the Dean. Yeah. No, wow. I went to the Dean. I went oh, to the okay, Dean. Okay, I was okay. angry about how it was handled um, okay. at the time because I was 20. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, but speaking of Marxism, um, you know me a lot better than you know Kevin. Uh, Kevin is our Marxist on the show. So, Kevin. <laughs> Hello, Kevin, the Marxist. <laughs> uh, I'm former Marxist. I was oh, not. Oh, really? Yeah, former Marxist. I was a member of a young Marxist on campus at the University of Oklahoma. Um, very radical Marxist. And uh, there's a couple of things to unpack with your last line. But the thing that that I really want to touch on is the I talk about this a lot on the show and and everything else. I think that all Marxists and socialists are failures of libertarians because like we are directly responsible for them turning out the way that they are because most people when they're 16, 17, 18, you know, just coming out of high school, getting into college, they only care about social and civil issues. And right. we as libertarians don't market that we're actually more progressive on all of these things than the Democrats. We just talk about taxation is theft and, you know, you shouldn't have driver's license and all of this other stuff, but we don't market to that. And they vote exclusively on that. So then the Democrats are like, hey, well, if you think Mexicans are people and, you know, gay people exist, then you've got to be with us. And by the way, we hate capitalism. So then they get sucked into that. Whereas if us libertarians were marketing ourselves as like, hey, we actually supported gay marriage 50 years before the Democrats did. Hey, we actually ran a woman for president or for vice president 35 years before the Democrats did. Hey, by the right. way, we're way more progressive than them. We could get them when they're because they don't understand economics. Most kids don't. Right. I didn't. And. I just look at all of them as failures. I was a failure of libertarians around me. And then I had to come to that, you know, conclusion on my own because I was only in it for civil and social issues. And, you know, that goes back to the Frankfurt School of Thought and how they believed that, you know, Marx was wrong and that the workers would rise up. They believed, well, they'll never rise up because, you know, we don't have anything outside of the work. Uh, the labor movement and most young people are not involved in the labor movement because they only care about these civil issues. They don't understand economics. So let's tie ourselves to these civil and social issues and then get them when they're young. And I think that we're seeing that right now. You've seen that seep into colleges. You've seen it seep into uh, public schools and things like that. And so that's why those liberal, that's why most liberals are more sympathetic towards libertarians because they don't understand economics and they're just voting on civil issues, which you already agree with them on. And the ones that do understand economics and are just wrong in their belief, they still agree with you on 90% of the reason why they vote. Yeah, no, that makes a lot, a lot of sense. And something when people tell ask me, what do you think is the best strategy to change people's minds? And what I always say is, you know, frame the argument that makes sense to whoever you're talking to. So a lot of people, most people, this is something my father and I talk about all the time as well. Most people need something to directly affect them for them to at all care about it or change their mind or see things differently. 
I'm not that way. I'm someone that something cannot even affect me or, you know, come close to affecting me. But just the principle of it alone will piss me off. And like if someone, for example, if someone were to treat someone else wrongly, you know, they don't have to treat me wrongly. But the fact that they would treat that other person like that makes me not want to associate with them. So but so what I always try to do is I always try to frame arguments in a way that makes the most sense to whoever I'm talking to. So, right. I agree that people that are younger, especially like my age, they really care about the social issues and you don't even get to you don't even have to tell them you can show them that you know it's the libertarian principles and the libertarian party that have actually you know had ran a female as a vice president which i think is like the fact that we even have to say that is so stupid like I, i'm so sick of the identity politics but unfortunately when you're talking to someone that only thinks about things through the lens of identity politics you have to talk like that because that's the only way you'll crack make sense crack through to them and make sense to them so yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And another thing is I agree that, you know, it is kind of the fault of libertarians that we have not um, reached more people because by nature, libertarians and even conservatives are way more passive. Whereas the left, you know, I kind of just view them as they're trampling over, they're constantly, you know, get trampling over the constitution and liberty more and more, the chipping away at it. So they're more, they're always on offense. And I don't even know if libertarians are on defense. They're kind of a lot of times I feel lost in the conversation off to the side and not even in the mainstream. So that's something that I try to do because I definitely am associated and like in friends with a lot of Republicans and conservatives. But what I'm trying to do is, you know, wake people up into seeing the, the way to success and what we want is really liberty and not the government mandating and um, certain behavior that we deem moral because you know the second you give well we already have given the government this power but the second you give the government the state the power to this to um, mandate morality well who just because you have someone in that you like right now making those decisions and you know you agree with them well one day it could be Hitler or something I actually tweeted the other day and I think it, it rings really true with this is uh, most people would be fine having a dictator as long as it's their preferred dictator. So I really do think that that rings true. And I'm not that way. I would much rather have someone, I'd much rather have more liberty, even if things culturally did not um, turn out the way I wanted, because I'm just pro-liberty, pro-people making decisions for themselves. As long as you don't initiate force and violence on someone else, you're completely peaceful. Then that's I'm fine with whatever you do. I I don't I could I could not care less what other people do. Like I just want to be left alone, and I'm happy to let other people live their lives the way they want to. And I think that's a gr great message for young kids, because how many young people want to have someone tell them what they can and cannot say, and what's what's acceptable, and oh that's rude, that's insensitive. These are not things that most kids or teenagers and you know young adults want to hear. Except if you're really woke, then you you thrive off of that and you use um, telling people that something they said is hateful or offensive as a way to really bully them, but into silence and it's submission and you, you to feel powerful. But I think most people don't want to be told what they can and cannot do. And I think that's where the libertarian message really will ring true, especially for the youth. Yeah. And I think one thing you said in particular struck me because it's a, it's a point that I've been trying to make lately. Um, and that is that people don't mind a dictator as long as it's their preferred dictator. And the way I've come at it to try to prove this point is to talk about the Supreme Court. Um, and it, it works better with people who are deeply involved with politics than it does with people who aren't. But for example, you know, Republicans cheered on 
blocking Garland. They cheered on rushing through um, Amy. You know what I mean? They they yeah. on moving the court to six to three. Now the Democrats are even if it was through you know arguably um, historically nefarious ways, right? Like I'm a or I'm not a Republican. I used to be a Republican. I'm a conservative. All the people that they nominated are more in line with my beliefs than the other people that would have been nominated. Uh, but from the outside looking in, I can say that they did it the wrong way. Okay. Um, now Democrats are doing the opposite. They're they're trying to now pack the court. And what they're really doing and what the Republicans were really doing is trying to take um, one of the legs out of the checks and balances system, which inherently makes the executive branch stronger. Um, and they only appreciated that and they only approved of that strategy because their preferred leader was in the executive branch at that moment. Um, exactly. Yeah, and politicizing exactly. the Supreme Court. It's always been somewhat political, but yep. it's always been very political, but it hasn't been politicized in this way, in this manner where we're trying to, now people are trying to get people to retire strategically at certain times so that we can replace them with blah, blah, blah. And, and it's become to the point of where every president is now going to be playing this game of who can I retire? You know, eventually we're going to have 48 year olds being forced into retirement so that we can put 21 year olds on the bench, you know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. And, or packing the court every single cycle. And it's just going to be become ridiculous. But the whole entire point is to, to maximize the executive's power which I don't think anyone realizes that that right now, both in this particular area of politics, both parties are trying to maximize executive power, which is the exact opposite of what libertarians want. And I don't think we talk enough about that issue. Right. No, I completely agree with you. Um, I think that both parties are guilty of, you know, when it's the opposing party in power that becomes president, you know, they're counting the executive orders and wow, look at historic new things, historic new overreach of power and whatnot. And then the second their person comes in and it's the new administration of the opposite party, then they're excusing it. And people, it's just a big, um, people, everyone's a hypocrite. W regards to the Supreme Court um, issue with, so I kind of understand, so the Supreme Court, in my view, is people say it shouldn't be a political um, institution. It is, you know, it's inherently political, even if they don't take up a case, you know, with the whole um, 2020 election when they didn't take up certain cases, you know, just that alone is political. So there's no way it's staying um, out of politics. But um, what I will say is, so when Garland was not even seen or brought in to, for a hearing and uh, for the confirmation hearing, I kind of understand it because it is a, the Senate at the time was Republican majority. So why would I, as a Republican, you know, let a liberal ju justice on the court? You know, I would block that as the Democrats would if they were in that position too. In terms of um, Amy Coney Barrett, they had the votes, you know? So like, it's, I obviously have my party in prep. Like that's, I feel like people should stop pretending. Like it's so shocking that the political parties would do would change their, you know, principles in order to ram through whoever they want. You know, that's not shocking to me. I think that's pretty much common sense. And also in terms of the Supreme Court and really any judge of any court, I want a constitutional originalist. The only constitutional originalist is obviously Justice Clarence Thomas, who is amazing. And he's like one of my favorite political figures of all time. And I really do believe that what my first viral tweet was 
really random out of, and it wasn't even a day that he was in the news, but I just tweeted, Clarence Thomas is a national treasure. And it got like 15,000 likes, which is crazy for me. Um, and you know what, maybe it restored some faith in the, uh, my, or people overall, probably mostly Americans who liked and retweeted that. But in my view, it's not even who I prefer to be a justice on the bench, but it's who fits the job description. So the job description of a judge or a justice is to interpret the constitution and the law, how it was originally intended, how in its original form, how it was written, what the words and phrases meant at the time, English common law, you know, and the whole argument of a more liberal justice is that the constitution is a living, breathing document basically says the constitution means whatever we want it to mean at the time. And we're going to use that to be dictators and completely change things, even though this branch is supposed to uphold um, the original intent of the constitution. And if you really want to change something, Go, go, go to the legislative branch, vote on it. Have that's supposed to be a more, you know, democratic system where the people can actually come together and make a decision where I think that's immoral because, you know, why should other people be able to vote away my freedom? But at the same time, that's not the original um, purpose of the Supreme Court and all the courts around across the country. So that's what really annoys me is, you know, God forbid, all I want is someone that fits the job description, which is rare. And even the Supreme Court justices that Trump um, appointed, they don't even, they, they've pretty much stuck to. Yeah. And let me tell you where I agree and where I disagree with what you said, because I think it's okay. important uh, historically to talk through this is, so first of all, you're right. If there, if the votes aren't there, the Supreme Court justice should not get confirmed. However, they should get a vote, in my opinion. Um, it would have been just as easy for Republicans to decide to take it to a vote and then defeat him. But right. even just for factors. optics, just to look like they at least put some effort into it. So yeah, well, I agree with that. It was finalists. They didn't want to put their name saying that they were against somebody who was well qualified. Okay, Garland right. was well qualified. Whether he was your type of, um, you know, judge or not is one thing. But he was well qualified. They didn't want to say right. that he wasn't. Um, the second issue I have is that the reasoning that they gave, because they didn't want to say that he wasn't well qualified, is that um, historically, nobody appoints a judge in their last year in office, which then they did with Amy Coney Barrett. You know what I mean? So, so it was the hypocrisy went again full circle. Um, right. And so those are the two things that I would push back on is A, uh, they had the vote, so why not just take it to a vote and beat them? By the way, that's happened before, right? George Bush, they they started to take Harriet Myers to a vote and realized real quickly that she was going to lose, and he had to pull back and put forward somebody else. If they had just beaten Garland, then Obama would have had to pull back and put forward a moderate that had a chance of winning, or he would have known that the Republicans would install a conservative the next time around. That's how it's supposed to work. You know what I mean? Um, right. And, and they decided not to. And because of that, 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 in my opinion, is what started the wheel towards what we're having now, which is a court packing discussion, because they, quote unquote, in the Democrats' mind, cheated in 2016. Now we're talking about, you know, and then they, quote unquote, cheated again in 2020 regardless of whether you believe that or not, that's how the Democrats are looking at it historically. And so now you're talking about the need, quote unquote, need um, to pack the court to make things even again. And then of course, it's not even because they decided to pack the court with 
you know, four, four jurors uh, instead of two, you know, so they're not trying to make things even, they're trying to swing it all the way to the other side. Right, so something you brought up um, a point that made me, it's good that you said that because I to totally forgot this is like my most basic fundamental like philosophy of why I'm a libertarian and that sh this is why this is the solution to this entire um, Supreme Court issue is so yes they were the Republicans were obviously hypocritical I completely agree they're all on tape you know Lindsey Graham all of them you know saying well, you should never appoint a Supreme Court justice in the last year of a sitting president which I think that is stupid. You know, you're, you are a president for your entire four terms, right? You're not a president. Oh, so when, when's the cutoff for when you can be appointed Supreme Court justice? If there's a vacancy, even I'm pretty sure Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ginsburg, I always pronounce her name kind of wrongly, but she even said that it's this duty of the president to fill a vacancy of the seat because you don't, you want to keep an uneven number. So in case there's a, almost a tie, oh, we have a tiebreaker. Yeah. So, my, so my basic principle is treat others how you would want to be treated. I always go about every situation putting myself in someone else's shoes. So if I was a Republican when Obama was um, trying to get Garland in, I would say, even though it's not going to benefit me right now, if I was a Democrat, I would be pissed if the, if the Republicans were trying to say I couldn't appoint a justice right now, or I couldn't do this. I'm still the president, right? It makes no sense. If I was them, I would be appointing a Supreme Court justice. So I would not, I personally would not have been the hypocrite in that situation. I think that's a huge thing that people suffer with in general, but of course in politics, more of recently, um, when there was all these sexual harassment allegations coming out against Chris Cuomo, I was very annoyed at Twitter because I'm like, hey, Guys, remember due process, you know, that you're innocent until proven guilty, and that applies to people you don't like. And guess what? If I'm going to be mad about anything in regarding Chris Cuomo, um, Andrew Cuomo, sorry, Governor Andrew Cuomo, um, it's going to be the nursing home deaths. I could care less about the, I mean, listen, if he's actually harassing women sexually, that's obviously a problem. But in today's world, unfortunately, it seems like there's every single guy has to deal with all these sexual harassment and assault allegations against them and I would be scared to death if I was a man today and any woman can say anything and even if it's proven to be false then he still has to deal with that um you know reputation being carried by his name so I'm way less concerned about these sexual harassment allegations keyword allegations than the nursing home deaths and when conservatives were outraged oh my god another sexual harassment accuser has stepped forward I'm like okay well is it is he, he's innocent until proven guilty. So I don't really care until it's so proven to the extent that it can be in the justice system. But, and then, you know, recently with um, Congressman, Congressman Matt Gates, you know, all of a sudden conservatives are preaching due process again. And, you know, and when it was Chris, Andrew Cuomo, it, liberals are preaching due process. So, you know, they, they like to pick and choose parts of the constitution um, when they want to use it. Someone has a really good, um, quote on this, Mark Levin, he's talking about the left. And I would say this definitely applies more to the left than the right, but it definitely applies to the right as well, is they use the constitution to destroy the constitution, which I think rings very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so talk about some of your key issues, some of the things that you're most passionate about right now. There's a lot out in the news. Yeah, so honestly, the day to day news has been very, very annoying. Um, I, I'm someone so you know, and there's a, a big critique of libertarians is they don't care about culture. 
I'm so guilty of that. I just don't care. I don't watch any movies. I don't listen to any music. I don't watch any TV shows. I think everything that's fiction is a waste of my time because I stopped watching that stuff years ago. I'm really boring. If you're a friend of mine or my family, you can't get me to watch a movie. I literally won't think it's a waste of time. I think that there's way, um, there's plenty there's overwhelmingly an um, amount of content videos and movies or just real scenarios of things that have actually happened in history that are real, you know, documentaries. I like to watch lectures. I like to watch um, debates, you know, podcasts, whatever, but there's plenty of real stuff that's happening in the world or that has happened that can entertain me. Why would I waste my time watching something that's fake? So I don't care about what's going on in Hollywood. I could care like, you know, conservatives freaked out about this new song by Little Nas and Apparently he's like getting, um, you know, sexually harassed by the devil in his music video. I didn't even watch the video. I don't care, could care less. Um, I was actually invited into a clubhouse room to talk about it. And they asked me, oh, what do you think of this video? And I was like, I don't care. Like, just don't watch it. Like, you know what I mean? I just, I just don't understand the outrage of, you know, the government must shield our eyes from this terrible, I'm sorry, from this terrible stuff. So. I don't get that. Um, one thing I talk a lot about, and this is mainly because I get a lot of hate from this particular group on TikTok, is I call myself an anti-feminist. I think everything feminism stands for today is has nothing to do with equality. It's all about female supremacy, you know, trying to make women look like men and have, you know, I always see this on TikTok, but there's these girls with I mean, I think they're girls, but they have these huge hairy armpits that look like bushes. They have hairier armpits than any man I've ever seen. And they just they basically want you to hate men, um, devote your entire life to a career. And by the time you're 40 or too old to have kids, then you don't have a husband and you're like, oh, well now I can't have kids. And now I'm kind of miserable. And now I'm going to be a miserable woman like Chelsea Handler is today. So I rail a lot against them um, very much so because I get majority of my hate comments from them. And one of my favorite things to make TikTok videos on is just responding to the hate comments. People always say, why do you take time why do you like give these people the time of day and for me it's like it's a great content idea sometimes I don't I don't really like to do the TikTok trends I think they're kind of really lame um so I like to just respond to hate comments because it gives me good content ideas and it allows me to really put on display you know highlight the immorality the um the irrationality and the you know truly evil mentality of the radical left so that's one of the biggest issues another one I would say that really bothers me is how you'll even hear conservatives say this, but oh, libertarians, they only care about private property and they're just so selfish and greedy and all they care about is money. And I'm like, hmm, private property is not just money. Private pro what private property means is, you know, things that you have earned or bought or whatever acquired through your work, so through your labors, you know, it's enjoying the fruits of your own labor. So how is that selfish that you don't, you just don't want, you just want the rights to your own private property that no one can just steal that and take it from you. And it's, that's a huge issue. I think private property is like paramount to everything. I really do. And I know a lot of people say that, you know, I don't know why I love, um, I've been really getting into Austrian economics lately and, you know, Murray Rothbard, um, Ludwig von Mises, actually one of my guinea pigs, um, is named Ludwig after Ludwig von Mises. Um, I love, I love them. And I just, I really do think that I look at, all these issues through an economics lens and i really don't think that just applies to bunny but it's just basic principles of capitalism that you know everything is a voluntary exchange you know whoever 
whenever you're doing a business exchange, both sides or all, all parties are happy because they're, they're voluntarily choosing to engage in that activity. So I think that is, it's not just an economic principle, economics principle, but it can apply to everything in life. And it's so simple, but so many people are so quick to be like, oh, all you care about is money. And that could just, that's just so, it could not be further from the truth. That is uh, awesome. Uh, guinea pig named Mises, I love that. And <laughs> 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 Kevin and I are cracking up over here. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's... yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making the Mises caucus inside of the uh, Libertarian Party. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that yet. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I love them. I actually met um, at... CPAC, the person that I really at the booth that I talked to the most was Tho Bishop. He, I'm sure you guys know him. He's on Twitter, but he's he works with the Mises Institute. But yeah, definitely, I think the National Libertarian Party has many, many issues. That's a whole nother conversation. And the Mises Caucus is definitely the part I identify with with the Libertarian Party. The, so far on Twitter, it seems like the two Libertarian parties, um, state parties that I really like are Connecticut and Kentucky. And it's great because I'm from Connecticut. So who knew that we have some, you know, base libertarians here, but <laughs> yeah. Check out um, Oklahoma. The two accounts for Oklahoma are the uh, Oklahoma LP that Kevin runs. And oh, okay. I'll have to follow LP, that if I don't already. And then the LP Mises OK is the one that I run, which is about 10 times as good. Um, oh, okay. Of course. The, you, you aren't biased. <laughs> no. But the of Oklahoma, course not. Uh, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Only one of us gets national recognition like every day. I'm not going to tell you which one, but it's not Todd. Kevin, so. Kevin likes to Definitely brag. Definitely not yours. <laughs> Kevin likes to brag when the LP National uh, takes note of the account. I like to brag when the LP National does not take note of my account. So. Hey, no, LP. this is my claim. This is my claim to fame on the LP National because Todd, Todd's doing the salesman thing right now where he's under. They didn't make a statement about something. Right, but we did the OKLP did. Then National took our statement and used it as the only statement that they made. That's what oh, the National Party though their Twitter is so cringy. Yeah, it's just not. I mean, Jesus. I mean, they just really make libertarians look so bad. I mean, the fact that they're so quick to criticize the Capitol riot, you know, the so-called insurrection, which I wouldn't have done it, but at least the people's anger was you know, taken out on the very people that they were mad at versus, you know, the BLM riot riots where they were just targeting and, you know, damaging pri the private property of citizens and bit their businesses that had nothing to do with why they were supposedly angry. So the fact that they weren't okay to condemn that, but they're so quick to condemn the so-called insurrection when it's like, I don't know, it's very, very annoying. And I've seen the debate between Dave Smith and I don't even know the guy's name, Nick or something. Uh, yeah, Pixar work. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, he calls everyone Nazis and stuff. I'm like, so you're a lefty? You're just calling people Nazis and whatever. That's just like, that's just so, it's so stupid. And I don't know. I just I can't believe that that he calls himself a libertarian. And that's something that I struggle with because I want the liberty movement to you know come together and really just fight as a unified force. But it's so hard when these like stupid little fights keep happening. But it's like you know what. If that's if that if he, Nick is supposed to represent what a libertarian is, then I'm definitely not a libertarian. Yeah, and I think um, we like to follow up Ladies of Liberty episodes with issue podcasts 
Um, and so I'd like you to start thinking about something you could come back on the show with. But if national messaging is something you're interested in, that is one that we love to touch on because we like to get as many different uh, trains of thought on that topic as possible. Yeah, uh, I like that topic idea because that's something I've been super interested in lately too. So it's kind of a good homework assignment to kind of organize my thoughts and yeah, that's something I'm really very interested in. From somebody in your generation because typically... Um, by the time people care about the national message, you know, they're, they're a different generation. So that would be really nice. Um, yeah, not too many like 22-year-old libertarians out here that love Austrian economics. I feel like I'm one a party of one. Well, let's make that a party of 1,000. So yeah, I will help. hopefully I will try my best. That's why I rant on Twitter all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, Isabella, how about uh, this has been fantastic, by the way. Great episode. How about you tell people where you can find or where they can find you? All right. So I am on, so every, all my social media is at Isabella Riley USA. You know, you're, you're on TikTok. It's TikTok and um, Instagram, but my Twitter is just at Isabella Riley US. And that's where you'll find me ranting mostly about libertarian issues and trolling people. So, you know, take every tweet of mine with a grain of salt. Sometimes people can't, you know, pick up whether I'm kidding or not, but my tweets can be entertaining. Women aren't funny, but I try to be sometimes, but yeah, it was a great, I had a great time talking with you guys and I'm really excited for the next podcast. Awesome. Well, we will probably be dropping this on Friday. So look out for that and uh, we will keep you posted and definitely start working on uh, the second visit then. Kevin. All right. Yes, sir. I will. Um, we can get together and we can get that scheduled and all that. Really, really had a great time with you. Thank you for coming on. Um, I wish that we had more time. We need to do like a series of these because you really knocked it out of the park. Oh, thank you so much. I'm always like, I'm so, I'm such a perfectionist. I'm always, I can't even listen to myself do interviews yet. Like I, I've not been able to watch anything over because I'm so critical of myself that I just will beat myself and I need to get over that because I need to improve whatever I, my interview style. But thank you so much. I had a really great time talking with you guys and it was just like natural. You know, I tend to immediately hit it off with libertarians because we just, you know, get each other. So I'm looking forward to future episodes. Awesome. Well, thanks again. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Yep, you too. Thanks, you too. Bye.